Thanks for listening to this sermon podcast for Real Life Church Pullman. We exist to help people know and become like Jesus. Going on in part two of Joseph. Pick up where we left off a week ago. Joseph was left in the pit. Done. He's in the dungeon. Uh, really the second pit experience for Joseph in this uh, part one story. Uh, I think significant that... Uh, as we talked about last week, that maybe the, the biggest lesson last week for me that I wanted to communicate was, hey, when you have a pit experience in your life, when you feel like you're in a place where either makes no sense or I don't, I don't know what can possibly come good out of this situation, that those are the very situations that God is wanting to do things in your life. Uh, he's not punishing you, he's preparing you. He wants to transform you for something ultimately best for you. And that's so hard for us to get a, get a grip on. Uh, and Joseph, in this case, is continuing to uh, hang on. But it reminds me that, hey, we have, as a church, kind of experienced that the last nine months. Maybe we felt, might be described, a little metaphor here, so we were kind of thrown into a pit, if you will, about nine months ago and, and wondered, what are we, we going to do to get out of this? Uh, but actually, I, I think month after month, we've been reassured and gaining confidence that, no, God is using this time to prepare us, to transform us, to lead us into a new, better chapter of, uh, of our church. So it's a great segue, because uh, then I can officially announce that uh, April 16th, we've invited Kelly uh, Van Arsdal and his wife Amy, and they're six-month-old. They have two other boys, but they're not going to come. But they're going to be here for the weekend of April 14 to 16. It's the week after Easter. So put that on your calendar. It'd be a great week for us, a larger group of people, uh, to actually meet face-to-face, interview with some people. And it's really more about confirming his call to be our next uh, head pastor. This is not like another step. This is the step. Uh, He'll be here that Sunday the 16th to preach and uh, see if God doesn't Say, hey, yeah, this, let's continue to uh, not just invite him to come on a weekend, but uh, to see if this is a, our new head pastor. So that's what we're praying for, hoping for. I just want to make sure you put that on your calendar, April 16th. Uh, okay, so back to Joseph. Joseph is, even though he's been in the dungeon a while, he is continuing to trust, continuing to gain God's favor. God has put him in charge of the dungeon, his first uh, official reigning duty here. Uh, and it, it's tough. You know, in our culture, we think about uh, how many of you have kind of waited on the Lord and felt like this is a long time. I've, I've been waiting for something to happen here. I feel like I'm, uh, I'm trying to trust, but I'm waiting a while. And in our culture, that's like two days or a month. So it seems, seems like a long time in our culture, uh, maybe a year. And have you waited two or three years for something that you know God is kind of giving you an, an idea he wants to work in your life, but you just keep waiting. Well, that's the story here, because as we pick up the second part of Joseph, he's been in the dungeon now for nine years. Uh, this is a guy that was clearly told, I'm going to do an amazing thing. You're going you're gonna to have a high position. <laughs> and he's the ninth year in the dungeon. Uh, and where the story picks up from there is he is in charge of, of the prison, and there's two prisoners that are given him given to him uh, charge over uh, the cupbearer and the baker, two officials in Pharaoh's court. 
they have fallen out of favor with Pharaoh. He throws them into the dungeon, and uh, Joseph is interacting with them, and, and they both have a dream. And word gets around to them that, hey, Joseph, our, uh, our main guy here, he can interpret your dream. <laughs> he says, well, I can't do it, but, but God can. So the cupbearer starts, shares his dream with Joseph in just a short version. The end of it, he says, well, what you've dreamed is in three days, uh, Pharaoh will lift you up and restore you to your position, that you'll be free from here in just three days. And uh, <laughs> he's excited. But Baker's thinking, yeah, hey, I had a similar dream. Let me tell you my dream. And he tells him his dream. And he, well, for you, you too will be taken out of the dungeon in three days. But in your case, your head will be taken from you. And you'll be impaled on a stick. Uh, so not, not the greatest news for the baker. But three days go by and, and the dreams do come true. Both things happen. One is elevated, restored. The other is executed. And Joseph, as uh, the cupbearer is leaving <clears throat> the prison, says, don't forget me. Don't forget me. Give a good report to Pharaoh about me. And he may be in his spirit thinking the same thing about God. God, don't forget me. It's been nine years. This, this must be my deliverance now. This, this has got to be the case. Don't forget me. Well, cupbearer forgets him. Doesn't say anything. Doesn't do anything. Two more years goes by. So now he's been in this dungeon for 10, 11 years. And... Uh, wondering what's going on. Well, then Pharaoh has his dream. And he tells it to all of his wise men, his uh, magicians, people in his court. Nobody can interpret the dream. Finally, the cupbearer speaks up and uh, with remorse says, I should have done this earlier. I have not honored my word. There's a person in the dungeon, Joseph. He can interpret your dream. So that's where we're picking up the story today. Genesis 41 Kind of a long little passage, but it's uh, all of it's important. So Genesis 41. So Pharaoh sent for Joseph, and he was quickly brought up from the dungeon. When he had shaved and changed his clothes, he came before Pharaoh. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream, and no one can interpret it. But I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. I cannot do it, Joseph replied to the Pharaoh, but God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, In my dream I was standing on the bank of the Nile. When out of the river there came up seven cows, fat and sleek. They grazed among the reeds. After them seven other cows came up, scrawny and very ugly and lean. I had never seen such ugly cows in all the land of Egypt. The lean, ugly ones, or cows, ate up the seven fat cows that came up first. But even after they ate them, no one could tell that they had done so. They looked just as ugly as before. Also, in my dream, I saw seven heads of grain, full and good, growing on a single stalk. After them, seven other heads sprouted, withered and thin and scorched by the east wind. The thin heads of grain swallowed up the seven good heads. I told this to the magicians, but none of them could explain it to me. Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, the dreams of Pharaoh are one and the same. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he's about to do. The seven good cows are seven years and the seven good heads of grain are seven years. It is one in the same dream. The seven lean, ugly cows that came up afterwards are also seven years, and so are seven worthless heads of grain scorched by the east wind. They are seven years of famine. And they just simply says, seven years of great abundance are coming, but seven years of famine will follow them. Then all the abundance of Egypt will be forgotten, and the, sam- and the 
famine will ravage the land. So that was a dream. He went on to kind of give them a plan. Hey, this is what God's going to do. But you've got to act during those seven years, store up grain to take care of surviving the last seven and also have grain to sell uh, to surrounding people. And Pharaoh says, I can think of no one better suited. Obviously, God has given you favor. You've interpreted my dream. You will be in charge. And he elevates him to high position. Um, so that's the, uh, that's the dream. I just, there's, there's an interesting little play going on here. Because do, do you remember any other story where there were seven years followed by seven years in the family of Joseph? Because he, probably why he interpreted this dream really fast, because it reminded him of Jacob's story. Because Jacob had to labor, labor seven years for his great love, Rachel. And then he was deceived, given Leah, uh, the less favored one, and <laughs> had to work another seven years to get his true love. So he's kind of played this out in his head. He's probably beginning to see his life come, as you will, full circle. And it's interesting because Leah had, uh, well, Leah had a number of children, but the first four children she had in this story of Joseph, uh, the whole story, there are only five sons of the 12 that are named. Three of them are, are Leah's. Uh, <laughs> there were Reuben, Simeon, and Judah. Those are the, the three named. And then Joseph and Benjamin. None of the other sons are named by name. They're just brothers. And I think God is kind of pointing out, and maybe Joseph is picking up on the idea, it's, it's really the sons of Leah that are eating up my position. Is the less favored one is is eating up who I was supposed to be. Uh, and he's beginning to kind of create this narrative of what's happening in his life. Well, uh, I would suggest that a lot's going on here, and I want to give you this graphic first to kind of walk through what's happened in Joseph's life the last 13 years. Uh, can you put that graphic up there? There it is. <laughs> Did we mention we're looking for a few <laughs> graphic? Uh, anyway. Here it is, uh, reversal of fortune, I call it. Just uh, follow this three through and see if Joseph isn't experiencing this kind of thing. He, as a son, says to his father, Jacob, I dreamed a dream. And the father, hearing his son's dream, scoffs at it, rebukes him, puts him down for it. Says, we will, what are you saying? We won't bow down to you. And then he's sent away by his father. Go check on your brothers. And he's immediately seized, stripped of his clothes, and cast into the pit. So that was the first half of his experience. Now he finds himself in a pit again, and now he's raised from a pit. And again, that's probably why this word should be dungeon, but it's a Hebrew word really for pit. He's just trying to equate this experience. He's rescued from the pit, given new clothes, sent for by his new father. Pharaoh is kind of beginning to take that place. And the father says to the son, in this case, I dreamed a dream. And the son listens to him and takes it seriously. He validates his new father's dream. So it's kind of this, this is the dynamic that's happening uh, in his life. And I'll just read uh, what Pharaoh's response is here. Genesis 41, and Pharaoh said to Joseph, see, I've set you over the whole land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring off his hand and put it on Joseph's hand. He clothed him in garments of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck, had him ride in the second chariot which he had, and they all crowd out before him. Bow the knee, so he set him over the whole land of Egypt. 
what Joseph is experiencing here is what the father would do for the firstborn. He's giving him his signet ring. That's his financial. You, you have control of all my finances. <laughs> he puts, gives him a new set of clothes, just like Jacob did for Joseph. He gave him a second robe. Well, he's given Joseph a new set of clothes. Uh, gold chain. He's giving him second in command. He rides in this chariot. People are bowing down to him. And he's taking care of his father's, new father's household. He's become the Bahor, the firstborn in Pharaoh's house. That's, I think, what Joseph is beginning to experience. It's been 13 years at this point since he was sent away by his brothers. Uh, 13 years, and he hasn't heard a thing. He's probably just disregarded them. Uh, and how do we uh, pick up on that? He had, oh, and also the father also gives him a wife, an Egyptian wife, which is also the duty of a father to provide a wife for the son. So he gives him a wife and he has two children. Here's, here's how he names his children. Joseph named his firstborn Manasseh and said, it is because God has made me forget all my trouble in all my father's household. So he's basically naming his son to say, I'm, I'm now forgetting my former family, my former household. Uh, the second son he named Ephraim and said, it is because God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. So you see this transition happening. Pharaoh's providing a new family for Joseph where he's embracing. Uh, and if you think about it, just kind of replay the scenario again in Joseph's head. My father scoffed at my dream, was offended. He must have known my brothers hated me to the point of death when he sent me off to check on them. And maybe now he's thinking, maybe my dad had gone in cahoots with my brothers. Maybe this was a a whole thing to cast me out of the family because of my dream that I had. Uh, Maybe that's what's going through his mind. Uh, They immediately seize him, put him into a pit. And then 13 years, where's my father? He's not come to search for me. If he really loved me, if he really cared about me, he would have come to look for me. Certainly my brothers told him I was sold off into slavery. He had no idea that the brothers told him that he was dead. In his mind, he just thought, oh, my father doesn't care anymore. My father must not love me the way I thought he did. So that's the, he's become, if you will, the outcast of the family. In some ways, kind of like earlier patriarch Abraham had a son by the handmaiden Hagar, and Sarah became very jealous and cast Ishmael out of the family. He's probably thinking, that's what's happening here. Uh, I have, my brothers are jealous. My dad is now offended by my dream, and he's casting me out of the family. So that's the situation we find Joseph. Uh, the stage is set now for the return of the brothers, and let's look at that part of the story. Oh, by the way, 30 years old. He's 30 years old. When he started this journey, when he was sold off, he was 17 years old. So 13 years have gone by. He's now second in command. Seven years of plenty makes him 37. Now they're into the famines phase, probably a year, year and a half, maybe two years the most. Uh, so he's 38, 39 years old. It's been 21, 22 years since he's laid eyes on his brothers. Benjamin was probably only about five years old when he left. Uh, so that's kind of his frame of reference. So here's where the story picks up in Genesis 42. Then 10 of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain from Egypt. But Jacob did not send Benjamin, Joseph's brother, with the others because he was afraid that harm might come to him. So clearly, Benjamin has become the replacement for Joseph. He's now 
Jacob's favorite. He doesn't want any harm to come to him. And a little side note, for if I didn't mention this before, that his beloved Rachel died giving birth to Benjamin. So that made him, his connection with his father, even tighter and more valuable to, to Jacob. Uh, in the next verse, now Joseph was governor of the land, the person who sold grain to all its people. So when Joseph's brothers arrived, they bowed down to him with their faces to the ground. Well, Joseph's seen his dream come true in, his, in front of him. He recognizes his brothers. The next verse goes on. As soon as Joseph saw his brothers, he recognized them. But he pretended to be a stranger uh, and spoke harshly to them. Where do you come from, he asked. Well, we're from the land of Canaan, they replied, to buy food. Although Joseph recognized his brothers, they did not recognize him. He's probably in full Egyptian hairstyle, bald head, uh, very different look than he would have been as a 17-year-old boy. Uh, and it says, yes, although... <laughs> Then he remembered his dreams about them and said to them, you are spies. You have come here to see where our land is unprotected. And again, back to the original story, when the first verses that we introduced about Joseph back in uh, 31, Genesis, it said he was sent out and he gave a bad report to his father about his brothers. He was literally acting as a spy for his father. Uh, And the brothers have turned the tables and he's just kind of making the comment, no, 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 you're spies. You're here to spy on me. You're here to uh, check out our land. But they, were, uh, they replied, Your servants were 12 brothers, the sons of one man who lives in the land of Canaan. The youngest is now with our father, and one is no more. Didn't say he was dead, didn't say he was sold into slavery, just said he's no more. <laughs> I wonder how Joseph took that. Like, he's no longer part of even our family. He's gone. He's, uh, he's not, he doesn't exist to us. Uh, so Joseph's response to that was, he said, well, I'll test your honesty. Still think you're spies. I'm going to have you all stay here and send one of you to go get your little brother just to see if you're telling the truth. Is there really a little brother? Well, he's got a little ulterior motive. Uh, three days goes by and he changes his mind about how that's going to play. And he says, you know, I'm going to have one of you stay here. The rest of you go get your brother but you cannot see my face again unless you bring your little brother back to me to see if you're really telling the truth. <laughs> he really wants Benjamin back. Uh, well, then it's these verses that we mentioned last week. This is their response to that. In uh, Gen- uh, Genesis 42, it says, uh, there it is. They said to one another, surely we are being punished because of our brother. We saw how distressed he was when he pleaded with us for his life. But we would not listen. That's why this distress has come, on, come upon us. Uh, Reuben replied, didn't I tell you not to sin against the boy? But you wouldn't listen. Now we must give an accounting for his blood. They did not realize that Joseph could understand them, for he was using an interpreter. So this is kind of the first hint that Joseph has of where their heart was, what their intention was. But notice in here it didn't say we're, not, we're being punished because we sold him into slavery. They they didn't listen to his cries. They didn't respond to him and look what's happened. And notice their demeanor. They're constantly, they're so guilt-ridden after all these years. This is why God is punishing us. This is what's going to happen to us. They're just kind of waiting for their punishment from God. Uh, Well, so uh, (laughs) the next thing 
Simeon gets held. They held one brother, brother of Leah, and sends the rest back, gives them all the grain and says, go bring your brother back. So they take off, a little disheartened, thinking, man, we had to leave a brother here. They get a few days along the journey, and one of them takes down their sack, notices the silver has been returned to the sack. And to them, they thought, this this is not good. Said, this God, what is God doing to us? They're still so riddled with guilt. And they get to their father and they explain all that went on. And the dad's response is, why did you even tell him about Benjamin? Why would you even mention that? And they said, well, they seem to know a lot about us. And uh, they asked about our father. They asked if we had any other brothers. And we just answered their questions. And Jacob gets really upset and distressed. And uh, Reuben pops up. Again, Reuben is still trying to find his way back to his father's graces as the firstborn. And he said, uh, I will be responsible for Benjamin. And if anything goes wrong, you can kill two of my sons. There's a, there's a selfless act. And Jacob's response to that was, no, I will, I will not let my son J- Benjamin go. I'm going to hang on to him. We will not do this. Uh, and that was the end of the conversation. And then Sometime later, when they were out of grain, when they realized this famine is going to go on for a while, we've got to go back and get more grain or we will die. And now Judah perks up. Judah becomes, in part two of Joseph, the hero of the story. This is his shining moment. We talked about Joseph last week, this weird story in Genesis 38. Where Why is that even there? It was the, it was the low point of Judah's life, where Judah leaves his brother's Sleeps, uh, ends up sleeping with his daughter-in-law by means of deception. And, and uh, that, was, that was not a good point for Judah. Uh, but I would suggest that this, this story is about what God did in, jo- in Judah's life as a result of his failure, and the result of his low point. Uh, just something to think about if we think how our events shape our lives. And we think bad events shape our lives badly. Only good events shape our lives goodly, but that's not God's formula. Well, first of all, God's not a God of formula, but God doesn't act that way. God says, I will take every experience in your life and transform it for good if you'll trust me. So I, we're getting the first hint because Judah pipes up at this point and says, yes, we've got to go back. We've got to save our family. I will be personally responsible. You can take my life if Benjamin is not returned. Well, this is the same Judah when they saw the caravan last week. <laughs> Said, hey, let's take advantage of this. Let's at least sell him off. He was the ringleader in getting him sold off to the Ishmaelites to be taken into slavery. And now he's willing to lay down his life. Uh, well, so we go on. So uh, they go back. They go back with this understanding. They arrive in Pharaoh's court and... Uh, <laughs> They get Simeon back, their uh, great reunion, and then there's going to be a dinner that night. Uh, they seem to have, uh, Joseph, by means of his steward, communicate, hey, don't worry about that money thing. Uh, the, uh, they don't know what, I don't even know what his name was to them, but the uh, ruler here decided you could have your money back, and they, okay. Well, he sets up a dinner, and of course, in that culture, the, Joseph would sit at one table, because he's can't mix with the others, and the other Egyptian officials would sit at a second table, and they had a third table for the, for the brothers. And they were astonished because they set them in order of their birth at that table. 
And then it came time for dinner and they start serving the, the dinner and Benjamin gets five times the amount of food that any other brother gets. And they're all just kind of looking at this. Doesn't say anything about their response. They're just probably thinking this is crazy. What's going on? Well, that's the only hint we get. The next morning, they head off and they got Simeon back and Benjamin back. We're all heading out of town. They fill our sacks with grain again. This is, uh, this is it. We're good. And they head out. But just before they leave, Joseph says to the steward, put this silver cup, put my silver cup in Benjamin's sack. <laughs> He's got plans for this. So he sends them off. And that's where we pick up the story, uh, Genesis 44. They had not gone far from the city when Joseph said to his steward, go after those men at once. When you catch up with them, say to them, why have you repaid good with evil? Isn't this the cup my master drinks from and also uses for divination? This is a wicked thing you have done. (laughs) So he catches up to them, gives the message of Joseph, and their response is, is quick. Hey, if any of your servants is found to have it, he will die. And the rest of us will become his slaves. That was, they were so convinced that, hey, we had nothing to do with it. We would never, at this stage of things, steal from you. <laughs> so that's what they said. And here's the steward's response. Very well then, let it be as you say. And then he says, whoever is found to have it will become my slave. <laughs> and the rest of you will be free from blame. So much different <laughs> little narration there. They say, hey, let the person with it be killed and we'll all be your slaves. Okay, let it be as you say. Wherever I found it will be my slave. The rest of you can go free. That was Joseph's prescripted line because his whole intention was, I want Benjamin back. I don't care about the rest of my brothers. The rest of my family has deserted me, but Benjamin wasn't part of that first episode. He's the son of the same mother. I want him to be with me here. And what does he do? He puts a sack. They take their sacks down. They find the cup in Benjamin's sack, and they're pretty distressed. And notice what Joseph has done. He's, he was sold into slavery for 20 shekels of silver. And now he's basically buying Benjamin back into slavery for silver. Um, so Joseph's pretty uh, crafty dude. Well, it goes on. Um, <laughs> so that's where they go back. And now what are they going to do? Benjamin is going to be taken as a slave. The rest of us, how can, how can we possibly go back to my dad after what he said. Well, this is where Judah's shiny moment steps in. He uh, shares with Joseph the words of their father when they left to come back to Egypt with Benjamin. Genesis 44 says, our servant, my father said to us, you know that my wife bore me two sons. One of them went away from me. And I said, he has surely been torn to pieces and I've not seen him since. If you take this one from me too and harm comes to him, you will bring my gray head down to the grave in, min- in misery. Those were Jacob's last words before they left. So Judah says, now then, please let your servant remain here as the Lord's slave in place of the boy and let the boy return with his brothers. Well, that's, uh, that is a, an amazing picture of someone willing to lay his life down for somebody else, the same person who was willing to easily get rid of his brother. But notice the transition here. He, he recounts to Joseph about his father. He's not, he knows his place. He knows that his father loves Joseph and Benjamin, and he's willing to do his father's will. 
not what he would prefer. He's not trying to save himself. This is my father's will that my son Benjamin be returned to me, so I am willing to lay my life down that he would be able to be home. Well, in short, uh, Judah's repentance, if you will, leads to redemption for all of them. Uh, His act of willingness to put his life on the line is what breaks Joseph. I think for the first time, Joseph, remember what he heard? Oh, my dad thinks I was dead. It's the first he's heard that the son's told his dad that he's been torn to pieces. And then he hears Judah explain how my dad dearly loves both Joseph, the one that's gone, and Benjamin now, and I would surely die if any harm came to him. So now he realized how much his father really did love him and how much he wants uh, them to, to be restored, to be uh, alive. Um, well, that breaks Joseph. Uh, a great verse that connects to that is John fifteen thirteen. That simply Jesus said, hey, no greater love has anyone than to lay down your life for your brothers, lay down your life for your friend. Um, that was the act, and I think there's just a great principle in that, the willingness to be self-sacrificial, uh, to be willing to lay your life down, creates redemption, uh, creates, uh, opens the door for God to do amazing work. So Joseph's broken, he rushes, he reveals himself to his brothers, and they're astonished, runs up to him, hugs him, kisses them, tells them they're forgiven, says, go get your father. Bring your whole family down here. You will have the best of the land. You'll live in Goshen. You'll be able to raise your kids, your grandkids. You will be taken care of by me. So he clearly just offers some great forgiveness, unconditional forgiveness as a result. Uh, and that's where that goes. Well, so there's some lessons in here. Uh, first one, first lesson would be, how are we doing on waiting like Joseph did and trusting God and in our situations. Uh, are, we, are we willing to do that? Are we willing to say, I can't give up on this. I can't give up on know what God, God has promised me. Uh, God's word says all things will work together for good. Are we willing to trust that, even if it takes nine years? Uh, that was Joseph's response. That's, that's lesson one. Two is lesson of forgiveness, and there's two sides to this. Because in every step of the way, the brothers are in fear because they don't, think they deserve to be forgiven. Uh, there's uh, the end of the story, by the way, in Genesis. Genesis 50 comes 17 years later, interesting number of years. Jacob is back in Egypt with the whole family for 17 years, and now Jacob's about to die. And the brothers are in great fear, even though they've already been forgiven, embraced 17 years before, given all of the good of Egypt land, they still think, now that dad is dead, Joseph's going to either kill us or enslave us. And they made up this story to give to Joseph when dad dies. Oh yeah, dad told us, make sure you tell uh, Joseph that you're to still take care of your brothers. <laughs> and uh, this is the recount, and this is the last chapter of Genesis, and the last words of Joseph to his brothers. His brothers came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. They still haven't embraced the freedom they have and the forgiveness that was given to them. Uh, Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? I love that line. Am I in the place of God? 
See, when you forgive someone, it means you're willing to give up to God what's God's. God is the one who will take care of the situation. Not our revenge, not our willingness to hang on to wrongs that would have happened to us. Am I in the place of God? I've forgiven you. He goes on and says, uh, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then don't be afraid. I'll provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. Well, I wonder if that's a reflection of anything we've experienced. Do we hang on to things even though God's forgiven us? Do we kind of wait for the hammer to fall? <laughs> well, yeah, but you, 17 years ago, uh, I know God forgave me, but still, maybe the first sign of something negative happened in your life like they did every time they, oh my gosh, look what God's going to punish me now. Uh, or do we really understand the power of forgiveness? It means it's gone. It's forgotten. We can live in total freedom. We no longer have to be slaves to what captivated us before. Uh, so that's one side of forgiveness. The other is just the power of forgiveness. That Joseph's willingness to forgive unconditionally his brothers because now he sees God in a different light. What you intended for harm, God intended for good. Even negative things that people do to us, if we trust God, if we give ownership of that to God and not hang on to it, if we're willing to forgive, God will work in that situation in our lives and in other people's lives. That, I think, is a story of forgiveness. I just wanted to throw this up here. If you get nothing else, this is, this is a, a line you want to remember. Forgiveness is the ultimate expression of trust. If you want to say, Hi, do you really trust God? Yeah, I really had to forgive these people for that person or that act in my life. That is the ultimate expression of trust because I trust that God can work in that situation. But he, I may hinder him from working if I'm unwilling to forgive. Because uh, that's what he did in our life. Or do we hold it against ourselves like the brothers did? Uh, and then finally, the last lesson is laying down your life for somebody else, the power of that, what it does to unleash God to work when you're willing to lay down your life. Because um, this story keeps repeating itself. Hundreds of years later, uh, Israel will be seen in the promised land. Uh, David has been anointed to be the next king. Saul has been disqualified from being king. And Saul had a, bro- had a son named Jonathan. Probably remember this story. But Jonathan is, being Saul's son, he's the rightful heir. He should be the next king when Saul is taken out. But he recognizes <laughs> he recognizes God's call on David's life, and he's willing to lay down his position and support David. He becomes best friends. Uh, they loved each other like uh, the love of a brother, deeper. Uh, well, it just so happens, Jonathan is a Benjamite. <laughs> David is from the line of Judah. I just thought, I love that, that it comes full circle. That hundreds of years before, Judah's willingness to lay down his life to free Benjamin, and now from the line of Benjamin, Jonathan's willing to lay down his life for the sake of David and what that does to transform the kingdom of Israel in that day. Uh, God is able to do what God wants to do in the life of David. We can either say, I'm all about that. If that means giving up my life, as Jesus said to us, you want to follow me, be my disciples, lay down 
your life. Pick up my cross. Follow me. Willing to lay your life down so that God can work in your life and in the life of others. That, my friends, is, uh, is what God wants to tell us about a story so long ago and so far removed from where we are. Thanks for checking out this message from Real Life. You can find out more about us by going to rlcpullman.com or by following us on Facebook or YouTube. Until next time, have a great week.